Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report, KHSU's weekly program covering environmental issues that matter most on the North Coast and in our bioregion. I'm your host this week, Jennifer Kalt with Humboldt Baykeeper. Today my guests are Ted Hernandez, Tribal Chairman for the Wiat Tribe, Tim Nelson, Director of the Wiat Tribe Department of Natural Resources, and Michelle Vassell, Tribal Administrator for the Wiat Tribe. They're here to talk about the return of Indian Island to the Wiat Tribe and the cleanup of the contaminated former boatyard at Tuluat, one of the villages on the island. Thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start from the beginning of the story. So the Wiat Tribe, we've been here since time immemorial, you know, since the creation. Creator put us in the Wigi, the Humble Bay. That's that's where we come from, in Tuluat, you know, the center of our world. And that's where we held our high dance, which was a world renewal ceremony, to bring balance back into the world, to bring balance into people's lives, and, you know, just to bring the balance back. You know, we were in charge of taking care of this beautiful surrounding that we were granted to protect and take care of. And then it happened to be where, you know, the early settlers came in and discovered the natural resources and the beauty that we had, and they wanted more of it, and they wanted to be greedy, and they wanted to take what we were supposed to protect. So what happened in February 26th of 1860, a group of militia men came across the island when our young men and were out gathering supplies for the next day ceremony. And they basically massacred most every women and child and, and elders that were on the island that were sleeping. They came in with clubs, hatchets, and knives, no guns, because they didn't want nobody to hear the noise and the, the gunshots, and they did it silently. And, you know, that wasn't just the only massacre that happened. We had a massacre on the Eel River, you know, so it was because people wanted what we had, and they couldn't stand the fact of sharing the natural resources and the beauty that we had. I mean, our main goal was to protect what Creator gave us, and, you know, they knew the Weah tribe was is a peaceful tribe, and I tell it to everybody. When somebody came to your house, you would take them in, feed them, and give them a place to rest until the next day. We probably would have shared what we had, but nobody came and asked us. They they think that the best way to get what the we has is let's just get rid of them. Let's just take them out, and then that way we can just say it's ours and, and claim it. And so that's pretty much what happened. And, you know, they nearly wiped us out. In the early 1900s, I believe we were down to 100 members. But now, you know, our membership's grown. We're at 630 members now, and we still have that same focus on taking care of what Creator gave us, and, and that is taking care of the lands and taking care of our natural resources and you know, by today's world is that we are sending our younger generation to schools to get educated, to come back to the tribe and help take care of these matters. So they may have taken us out for a while, but we have come back stronger where we can say, no, you can't do this now. So we can speak for our elders that we lost back in the days of the massacres. And in some ways, the history of the destruction of Humboldt Bay and the surrounding watershed and now the restoration of the waters and the lands around the bay is sort of a little bit of a parallel to, you know, the revival of the World Renewal Ceremony on this site. So then what happened next is, in fact, someone did take Indian Island and turned it into a boatyard. Yeah, that was Gunther. He took it, and that's when it became Gunther's Island. He made it a boatyard where they did all the cleanups for the boats. And, you know, it was so badly contaminated. It was like, how can you desecrate something that was so ceremonial in a spiritual place and make it what it is now then? You know, and I, I, I always give praise to my natural resource department because they're the ones that made it happen. You know, it's plush to make the cleanup happen by getting EPA involved and bringing all the big wigs in to come basically help clean it up. But also give credit to our elders, too, because if it wasn't for them to continue the fight to get the island back, you know, we wouldn't be able to do all these tests. So the natural resource department and our elders are what made this cleanup really happen. I mean, they came in, they, they cleaned it up. 
And I believe in 2012 or the 13, we got the cleanup approved. And uh, Indiana was got a clean bill of health, you know, and I'll let Tim talk more about the cleanup, but we got that clean bill of health. And once we got that clean bill of health, everybody was so excited. We did the ceremony that wasn't completed in 1860. So, you know, a lot of people think we did a new ceremony, but we didn't. It was a ceremony that was not completed for 1860. So now that we complete that ceremony, we can move forward with a new ceremony and start over and start fresh. Well, and in the meantime, there was a lot of work that was done. First, the boatyard closed down in 1990 after operating for, you know, it was like over 100 years, I think, of lots of wood preservative and paint and all kinds of chemicals that were used in the boat repair process. A lot of which were not regulated back then and, you know, aren't legal today, but at the time were acceptable uses. Right, and the people weren't careful with them. They just Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, we know from a lot of baykeepers work on old lumber mills around the bay that pentachlorophenol and the dioxins that are in that wood preservative were just kind of slopped around and, you know, they were reused as solvents because they were mixed with diesel or mineral spirits to carry into the wood to preserve it, and then they reused it, and they kind of just slopped it all around. And then there was the the penta and dioxins from that. There was arsenic, copper, lead, zinc, all kinds of things that are associated with boatyards. But then, so in 1990, the boatyard closed down, and in 1992, the first candlelight vigil was held on the island. Yes. And that was really remarkable in that people it wasn't just for the Wiat tribe it was for you know sort of a healing for the whole community is that right so the the tribe after the massacre Wiat people weren't allowed on the island it was in private property and if a Wiat person was to step on the island it would have been trespassing and so for over 100 years there was no Wiat people allowed on the island I think the earliest attempts that I can, you know, see in like maybe the Time Standard and other references of the tribe trying to work with the city of Eureka to gain some land on the island was in the 70s by a gentleman named Albert James. And he was really prolific at that time in talking to the city and negotiating with the city, trying to get the city to give a part of Indian Island back to the tribe. So there was all that, you know, going on in the 70s, but it was unsuccessful. In 92, that boatyard basically shut down, and our tribal chair at the time, her name was Cheryl Seidner, came to council and asked council for permission to attempt to purchase that piece of land. And it was 1.5 acres? 1.5. 1.5 acres, some of it in the bay. And that happens to be the section of the boatyard where the boatyard was, the the most, I guess you'd say, contaminated spot on the island. And the tribal council unanimously voted yes for that. That set us forward with attempting to come up with the funds to make the purchase. Simultaneously going on was the candlelight vigils. And the candlelight vigils were, like you said, not necessarily just for we ought people, but sort of a community healing activity that was meant to just bring the community together. This happened every year for, I don't know when the last one was, was the year? The last that? one was held in 2013. Yeah. But those vigils, you know, a, a lot of healing happened in those vigils because what we saw is it wasn't just without people coming. It was the people of Eureka coming who didn't like the history of the island and really wanted to do something to change it. And so... Those folks came regularly, you know, we had different people every year, but it would be hundreds of people turning out to the vigils. 
And then the tribe created its own nonprofit called the We Out Sacred Sites Fund, and we started raising funds through a variety of efforts. We sold T-shirts. We sold sweatshirts. We sold lapel pins. We did a lot of tabling. Back in those days, I spent a lot of my time tabling at different events locally all over the place. Cheryl did a lot of speaking engagements and talking to people about the issue and, and promoting the purchase. So eventually we had enough money and made that purchase of the original 1.5 acres. The day that getting the key, so to speak, we looked at the piece of property and it was just a real disaster. Disaster. One of the things that I remember being just taken aback by was just the sheer amount of stuff laying everywhere. There was just big chunks of metal. And like if you walked, you would, you know, you could potentially get cut by something because there's just all the stuff that was just all over the ground everywhere. Some of the things that really stick out in my mind is the batteries. We had a retaining wall of batteries that was left there. There was just debris everywhere. There's just big, you know, paint cans and, you know, just large amounts of just this junk that had collected there over the years. So those original cleanup efforts were really about removing a lot of that stuff from the island. It was about taking the the large chunks of these metal debris off the island. And then from there, I'll let Tim take over about a little bit of the... So, yeah, and so in 2001, the the tribe ended up getting a targeted brownfields assessment from the EPA, which allowed us to come in and do a historical information compilation and, and prioritize areas of environmental concern and contamination. As Michelle had said, we had cleaned up tons and tons of metal debris, wood, just solid waste in general. We ended up getting an $80,000 grant from the California Integrated Waste Management Board. With that, we were able to dispose of, I believe it was four 40-yard dumpsters of just solid waste. And then I think another additional two 40-yard dumpsters was recycled metal from, from the way runners that had gone down into the mudflats. So after we had done the cleanup in 2006 with the solid waste, the next thing we did was turning our attention to getting rid of some of the actual contaminants that you had mentioned, the dioxin, the pentachlorophenol, the furons that were in the soil. Once we got basically the, the boatyard facility down to the, down to the ground, uh, it was time to focus on those contaminants. And given the nature of the sensitivity of the, the site, we couldn't just come in there and dig it all up with a backhoe, normally what you would do in some other projects, maybe around town or easily accessible spots. We had to get, I believe it was eight Haswopper-trained archaeologists to shovel 23 cubic yards of soil. I believe it was 26 tons of soil. It had to go, each scoop had to go to be screened out for artifacts. And then the dirt would fall through onto a tarp. That dirt would be scooped into buckets, which would then be placed into 55-gallon drums. And it ended up being 88 55-gallon drums were taken off the island and disposed of, incinerated at, I believe, a spot in Utah. That was the only state that was willing to take our waste. <laughs> we were working with somebody in Canada and I believe Utah, and I think Canada bowed out. So Utah got our got the waste, but they went to a facility and it was incinerated. And then after that was done, we needed to, I guess, redo our bulkhead on the island. And that was a project that was from the California Cultural and Historic Endowment uh, it was a $310,000 project, and it was for some creosote removal, sheet pile installation, and to redo the bulkhead on the island. 
like Michelle had mentioned, when we first inherited the site, there was a retaining wall that was marine batteries that was leaching acid into the bay. And so obviously those got removed, but there was concern that the shell midden was being eroded back into the bay. And we wanted to protect that. And also at that point, we hadn't taken care of the contamination. So we wanted to also retain the contamination on site until we can take care of the problem. So we had started the sheet pile installation, but we got to the point where we we couldn't connect it with the bulkhead yet until we redid the bulkhead. So there was this disconnect. So when we redid the bulkhead, we had to have concrete pumping trucks on the Highway 255 and then pipe that ran about a quarter of a mile over to a barge that had another concrete pump, which then had to pump an additional, I think, quarter mile to the bulkhead site. <laughs> uh, there was an initial problem the first time we went around. I think there was some ash that didn't, the white quantities didn't get added, but we fixed that and came back the next week and were able to, to redo all that. Got that done, finished the sheet pile connected that to the to the bulkhead. So at that point, we had removed the contamination, redid the bulkhead, had the sheet piling done. We had done some invasive plants removal and, and planted some native plants from a neighboring Dobby Island. We planted some native willows, again, as a soil retaining fixture and also to enhance the native. We have a native garden on the island as well. After that was done, we had come in with a Coolox. It's a solution called Coolox. And our engineers had chosen to use this solution. Basically, it gets rid of any remaining contaminants that are left from the removal of the soil. And it gets it down to a level where you can come through and put put a geotextile fabric cap on top of it. And then and then so, so it gets it down, gets the contaminants removed to a level where it's safe. And we decided to choose this solution because it wouldn't dissolve any of the artifacts that were remaining in the soil, any of the right. shells, any of the bones, anything like that. So, But it also helped to neutralize the dioxins and the plenochlorophenols and the furons. So once we did that, we contacted EPA. Actually, the former director, Stephen Coleman, had gone to a travel conference. And one of the guys who was doing a presentation on cleaning up boatyards Stephen walked up to him afterwards and said, you guys clean boatyards. I got a boatyard you can clean up. And so that one conversation sparked EPA to come up and visit the site. And they basically said, yes, this is a priority. We need to do this. And they came up and they put the cap on the one and a half acres and then put, I believe it was about a foot of topsoil, 2,500 tons of soil on top of, the, on top of that cap. And then Coast Seafoods, came through and gave us some oysters that we can mix in with the soil because we wanted that that natural shell midden feel just because we're introducing some some artificial soil onto the onto the shell midden. We wanted to create that feel. And so that that was done and I believe the total cost of that was about six hundred fifty thousand to do that. But the one good thing about that project to get an EPA to come up is that it sparked them to go and investigate the local pulp mill to clean up that. So the one conversation, I know Stephen and I always have this talk, is the one conversation kind of sparked the EPA to go check out our other local issue that helped protect Humboldt Bay. So A very fortuitous conversation. Yes. So it's really quite a story, I mean, going from the massacre to raising over $100,000 by selling T-shirts and raffle tickets and stuff to buy a horribly <coughs> contaminated site. Did you know it was that contaminated when you were raising the funds to buy it? 
I don't know if we exactly knew how contaminated it was. Uh-huh. I, I think after the, the targeted Brownsville assessment was done in 2001, I believe there was a good mm-hmm. indication of what was there. Definitely was a good indication the contaminants were there. So after the property was purchased. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That particular place is so important to we all people that cleaning it up was just as important. It wasn't. As- it wasn't. We knew how important it was to bring back our home. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, it's our, our ceremonial spot. It's our church. We need to take care of what was given to us. So I don't think it scared us. It says, okay, we know it's there. We got to make it happen. We got to make it clean. And how, it took years to do. Yeah, how long it took was. But we made it happen. It was 100 years getting back on the island, maybe even, you know, longer. But it was that cleanup. It had to be done. Mm-hmm. And who else? But. It just, it was, you know, it's, we knew that our ancestors weren't resting. We had to, we have to make sure that we had to clean up so that they can rest and then move on. And that was, that was the important part of it is that no more can be taken from there and it was in our hands to take care of it now. Another thing maybe somebody should mention, because we have a lot of, like you said, new HSU students arriving this fall that may not know what a midden is. Tim, if you want to describe it. Yeah, so a shell midden um, or shell mound is sometimes when it's called is is basically a, a mound of the old past history of meals, everything from meals, bones, detritus, everything that that when people live that they that they create and, and it all combines to dirt and actually if you over time as as all the the substrates dissolve it actually has more of an oily feel and so this is literally in and of itself is almost a physical structure and could be considered a physical structure and what i mean by that is kind of more of a, a historical physical structure that people have built up over years yeah it's meals bones Yeah, so I've heard Mike Wilson, who was one of the early consultants on this project and later Harbor Commissioner and now County Supervisor, heard him say that it's akin to excavating a contaminated site at Arlington National Cemetery. So such an unusual project and, you know, the cultural resources facility here on campus at HSU had specially trained archaeologists just for this cleanup. And I know some of those folks and I was out on the Baykeeper boat. We were doing a tour out on the bay and people were like, what is happening? Because they were, you know, head to toe in those white hazmat suits digging shovel by shovel and screening the material and then the whole innovation of the kulaks kulaks yeah yeah. (laughs) to inject into the remaining contaminated soil i mean this project has been just so innovative and healing for the whole bay and the people around the bay and then you have won an award from the u.s epa right do you want to talk about that sure yeah so after this project was completed we were given from the EPA. And back in actually 2016, we have been awarded the Excellence in Site Reuse Award from the EPA. It's the first time a tribe has ever received this award in the nation. And we're actually the first recipient in Region 9 for EPA, which is California, Arizona, Nevada, and the Hawaiian Islands. And so we were told that we had received this award and they were planning on coming up. And unfortunately, there's some unfortunate circumstances due to some of the, the fires. So hopefully the award will be presented in the near future to us. I'm honored to be a part of, of the natural resources team to be a part of this project. It's a very prestigious award. And all the, all the hard work that went into this project, everybody that was involved, the tribe is, is very, very happy that we received this award. 
And you've been working with the tribe for many years, right? Stephen Coleman was the director, but you had been working with him over many years. And then when he left to go work for Blue Lake Rancheria, you took over as the director. That's right, yeah. yeah. When, we, when we first started this project, I think our natural resource director was Nina Hapner. And then we had a series of directors over the years. So this project spanned multiple careers. <laughs> right. right. I think anybody who's been touched by this project still keeps in touch. Absolutely. And that's a great thing about the award is that actually the EPA had decided to do a paper on the project as well to place on their website and to circulate around as as an example of cleanups that bring together a lot of different partners. Like I said, Coast Seafoods, all the different people that were employed with the tribe, everybody from the Matiquet that helped with getting things on the island and off the island because everybody knows you can't really get there by car. (laughs) And so it definitely brought together a lot of partners and was done in a way that showed that if everybody just kind of comes together with their resources, it can it can be done, and it can be done the right way. So yeah, it's a really fantastic paper, and if people want to have a look at it, you can go to the KHSU archives and where we'll post the show, and then we'll also post this report, which is really a, a history of everything that happened on the island and lots of great quotes. One of them I really like, Stephen Coleman, who's now a harbor commissioner. He said. We can't go back and rewrite history. The effects of injustice remain. When we can help remediate the wrongs of the past, it provides healing for us all. So with so many different partners, you know, there's a, there's quotes from Mike Fogut and from some of the Army Corps of Engineers people and the U.S. EPA and, you know, just to, to be able to have so many people involved. And then Humboldt Baykeeper is really grateful that the Wiat Tribe partners with us to do the cleanups on Indian Island twice a year, Earth Day and, and Coastal Cleanup Day. So Coastal Cleanup Day is coming up in September, and if people are interested in joining that, we use grant funds to get kayaks and all the gear and guides from the Humboldt Bay Aquatic Center, and then the volunteers paddle out to the island, and it's just such a special, beautiful place to be able to go and work with you to clean up the trash that's that's on the island and there's always more trash so <laughs> we just keep doing it twice a year and we have coast seafoods and hog island oyster company bring boats and then you guys bring a boat usually to help haul the trash back because there's always all kinds of stuff from the bridges you know there's like tires and we found two truck bed liners out there that must have blown out of people's <laughs> trucks on the bridge and you know the first year we did it we made one of those into a floating barge hmm. for trash and then dragged it behind one of the kayaks but nice. it was it wasn't easy but so there's <laughs> room for I think two dozen people if you want to sign up for that check the baykeeper website or Facebook page coming up and then other people who have their own boats are also welcome if you have a kayak or a canoe or a raft right. or you know even a motorboat whatever but it's just a really special opportunity and people a lot of the volunteers express how excited and honored they feel to be out on the island well Oops. see i think this is the whole part is that it's a community coming together and healing it's not just the we at tribe it's the whole community coming together and healing and when people step on that island they feel it they feel the connection they feel the the healing powers that i think the island does have some strong healing powers and i think it's where everybody feels it and they come together and say you know like steve says we can't fix the past but we can move forward and that's what it's all about, is moving forward together as a people, mm-hmm. as a community, 
We, w- we wouldn't have been able to do that, I think, come together as a community had we not been doing the vigils for many years because people that were interested came to those vigils and it was a place that they could come and, and just talk and maybe figure out how they could help or, you know, all the tabling that we did for many years. We had nothing but support. When we went to, you know, various venues, people would come up to the table and they'd say, how can I help? Or I have this thing or, you know, I'm a this and I can help you with that. So we made all those connections just by really being out there in the community by the community really wanting this. And I think that everybody benefits. Everybody that lives around the bay benefits from the island being cleaned up. Our waters are cleaner as a result. They absolutely are. The the sediment at the boat basins are measurably cleaner than they were 10 years ago. And this cleanup is a big part of it, I'm sure. That's That's like part of the World Renewal Ceremony. You know, that's what the island was for, was to complete the ceremony. And it's doing that. It's bringing the balance back. It's bringing everybody together. And it's, you know, we still have quite a few to go, ways to go more. But I believe once the whole audience can take back together with the WIATs and the community, then I think we're going to see big changes in our county, in our in our area. But it has to start in small sections. And we should mention, too, we're, we're coming close to running out of time here, actually, but we should also mention that the city of Eureka became the first city to give land back to a tribe, right? They, they were. And you don't see that where a lot of cities just give back something. you know. And that's, that's that great partnership we have with the city of Eureka, and, and it's working together, and they know how important it is to their town, and they know how important it is to the county. And they, you know, it's once the island is completely intact to the we are people, then the the balance really really will happen. Right. So in 2004, the city returned 40 acres to the tribe, and now are in the process of retaining the remainder of the island, except for a few acres that are in private ownership. So that's you know that's a real show of support from the whole community. It is the importance of the island. So let's talk about the WIAT Day coming up so that our listeners know about that. So WIAT Day is going to be August 25th, and it'll be from 1 to 8, and it'll be at Table of Reservation, and it'll be in the back 40 where we call all my relations. So when everybody comes out, we're basically all related, no matter from wherever you come from. And that name came from basically the young, the younger generation, the kids. That's what they wanted to name it because that's where everybody gathered. But everybody's more than welcome to come out to We Out Days. We'll have traditional dancers there. We're going to have, hopefully we're going to try to gather some traditional stick game tournaments and traditional gambling tournaments, as well as, you know, enjoying the time to come together and just reminisce about the past, people not seeing each other for a long time and being able to visit with their families and, you know, learning getting more stories of kids, watching the kids. The best part is watching the kids slide down the hill in the, in the cardboard. <laughs> And it's just like one big family reunion and everybody comes out together and just enjoys the day. And, you know, the healing process begins there as well. And, you know, we can they'll learn more about Indian Island, though, especially with our natural resource table. And all of our departments will have their own tables, you know, to talk about we got history and and what we're doing in the community. You know, it's, it's just going to be a great day to come out and hang out. So the We Out Tribe always invites everybody to come out and join us and, and, you know, come enjoy the food, traditional salmon on the sticks. And, you know, our staff does a wonderful job putting this together. And it's looking like it's shaping up to be a good salmon fishing year. Is that, is that what I gather? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing, too. So that's really good news. So that's August 25th from 1 to 8 p.m.? Yes. And there's a Facebook page about We Out Day? There is a Facebook page. Search Facebook for We Out Day. It should pop up. It's also on our website, which is www.weout.us. 
And the WIAT website has also a really incredible language section that has been developed by, you have a, a linguist. Yes. Linica Butler. Linica Butler has done a wonderful job at putting our language on the website so people can learn the language. And, you know, she's constantly working on this website to continue to add to it. And I think this is going to enhance the language department very well because it's like there's a lot of cylinders that she still has to interpret and, and figure their wording out. But it's it's turned out to be an awesome site. I mean, when we had our old website, you can really access that. But now, not just tribal members, but people outside the tribe can access it and learn the language for the Wea tribe. Yes, it's it's really beautiful that you can listen to the pronunciations mm-hmm. too. So she cool. also is really good about putting the interpretation because English words aren't necessarily translate the same, and you lose a piece in translation of cultural aspects of the word. So she's really good at trying to share also not just the the weot word for something, but what it really means in weot, which may not be an exact translation to English. Maybe a paragraph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all so much for coming today. This has been a really good discussion, and I uh, hope to see people at Weat Day and Coastal Cleanup Day. If you don't want to kayak, there's all kinds of other places you can go help clean up around Humboldt Bay and Humboldt County generally. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Jennifer Colt with Humboldt Bay Keeper, and I've been your host for the past half hour. I was speaking with Ted Hernandez, Tim Nelson, and Michelle Vassar of the Weat Tribe. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call the KHSU Listener Comment Line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the KHSU archives at khsu.org. And you can also listen on iTunes or other podcasts. You can subscribe to the Eco News Report. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us again next week for the Eco News Report.